You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. Hey, Krista, would you open us in prayer? Yeah, I can. Lord, um, I just want to praise you for your glorious grace and your your love for us and just you just being our king and um i pray that this morning's discussion is just um renewing for us and that we can um learn more about our consciences um and just be able to take what we're talking about today into our everyday life our everyday moments and i just I pray that you prepare our hearts for worship this morning. Um, yeah, and let us be able to love one another today and just throughout the week. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Krista. Okay, so it's chapter three. What should you do when your conscience condemns you? Any... Um, any highlights, insights, questions that came to your mind, just in general, from the chapter? I thought on just the very first page of the chapter, when um, talking about John MacArthur, and saying the conscious may be the most underappreciated and least understood attribute of the human of humanity. Psychology is usually less concerned with understanding the conscious than with attempting to silence it. I just thought that was, if anyone's gone through secular counseling, through <laughs> kind of scary. Yeah. Well, what would you like in your conscience to? That's a uh, C.S. Lewis was always trying to compare things and liken things to think. What would you liken your conscience to? Jiminy Cricket. I, I Googled that. What would you know? Googled that this morning, and one of them there was a lot of references to um, Jehovah Witness has a lot of things about conscience, Freud, but one of them said it's like a liver. It kind of cleans things out and sorts things out. And so anyway, that's I'm still trying to understand conscience, which is probably a futile thing. That's why we're reading the book. <laughs> we kind of know what maybe more what it does than what it is. Yeah. It talks about uh, page 47, the Holy Spirit, which in our previous discussions has come up also so like it's a gift the conscious is a gift from god so that 
my question is, is that like a gift from God? So the Holy Spirit is able to speak to us? To discern right from wrong and like your friend talking to you and speaking truth, truth to you. Yeah, I, I think that the conscience is distinct from the Holy Spirit because even lost people have a conscience that's part of God's common grace. Um, that we all have the law written in our hearts in a sense that we all, um, and Romans 1 talks about that, that, that men are without excuse because they know there's a creator that they're accountable to. And it doesn't matter where you go in the world, everybody has a religion. You could go to the most isolated tribe in the world and they would have some sort of religion, which means that their conscience is crying out that there's an accountability that they have uh, to something bigger than themselves. And they feel condemned, therefore they, you know, sacrifice their children or they do, you know, they do these rituals or they whatever. Um, so it, I think it is part of the image of God. I think it's distinct from the Holy Spirit. Um, but I think that when the believer when a person becomes a believer, the Holy Spirit and the conscience, um, their voice sounds very similar, which is, I think, why we have to be, be careful there and begin to align that internal, that internal uh, judge and monitor is kind of what they used on page 43, going back a chapter. Looking forward, it warns you, and then looking backward, it accuses, condemns, or sometimes defends you. Um, so your own internal sense of what's right and wrong. And uh, we talked about that before, that I'm glad that people have a conscience. <laughs> you wouldn't have a society if, if, if people didn't feel like it was wrong to run red lights or, um, or cut in line or, you know, whatever. So um, it's, it's kind of God that we all, that there's a, there's a even, among, even among, among the most godless people, there's at least an ability to function and I think a lot of that is due to the conscience and God's grace and in restraining in restraining us at least in some sense I don't know if that makes sense but well it, it seems like from this chapter that your conscience can condemn you even when it shouldn't like when you know you've been forgiven and so in that way it's definitely distinct from the Holy Spirit because um, the Holy Spirit would never condemn you um, when you've been, when your sins have been paid for. Yeah, I agree. Conscience related to conviction. Hmm. Or are they? Sir, what was the question? How is conscience related to conviction? I think your conscience renders the conviction. It's kind of the internal judge. So um, I think your convictions are closely tied to your conscience. In fact, it might be the rendering of the verdict of the conscience. Isn't the Holy Spirit what convicts you? Holy Spirit, I was more in lines like conscience, yeah, the conscience and Holy Spirit are distinct, but the Holy Spirit is what gives 
Christians the ability to discern or to convict yourself, basically, and say whether or not you should listen to your conscience? Mm -hmm. I thought the way he talked about the Holy Spirit supercharging your conscience was helpful and that, like, they're distinct, but the Holy Spirit uses your conscience to communicate with you, I think. Like, so when yeah. you're being convicted of sin, it's not, like, totally unrelated to your conscience, but it is still the Holy Spirit working yeah. through your conscience, I guess. Yeah. I don't know that you can always, like, nitpick apart what's what, but it seemed like, I thought it was a helpful way to think about it, to just think of, like, the Holy Spirit supercharging your conscience, because it's like, and he comes and he, he changes it, too, if, you know, if it's way off or something, our, the Holy Spirit is working in us. Yeah. But he works through our conscience. And, and, and yeah. yeah, I, th I think that um, what's interesting about the conscience is that different, it can be sort of tuned to different things like um like so you you have a conscience which god has given you in the image of god but in our fallen state like different things guide it um so your culture can guide it your family can guide it or god and his word can guide it and so you can feel uh condemned uh rightly or wrongly even as a non-christian based on your family values or your culture values or these sorts of things um and even a non-christian can feel rightly condemned by god's law written on their hearts um so i think that the challenge is, is having it rightly attuned to the right things um that's right holy spirit yeah helps yeah i think go ahead go ahead melissa i was just saying that i think that like we live in a very condemning world, despite the fact that we're all rejecting God constantly as this giant mess, but we easily can fall into condemnation as well as condemn others. And I feel like the Holy Spirit, when he steps in, it's more of a, he convicts us instead of condemning us and, and kind of brings us to a place, not only within ourselves, but how we are with others. Um, filling us with like a hope for others and wanting others to not feel condemned because I feel like condemnation is a place where Satan that's the last, yeah that's the last half of the chapter is yeah. when before i was a christian i actually didn't feel as guilty as i do now then mm. but that's a that's very slippery slope uh just like the psalm from last week the idea is not to feel guilt but to just realize how amazing christ's sacrifice is you know that's basically the last half of the chapter so to feel convicted but be careful with condemnation and guilt because Satan uses that to separate. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I think what Melody said is helpful that, that the Holy Spirit maybe speaks to us through our conscience. So when we become a believer, it's like the conscience is inhabited by the Holy Spirit, but, you know, the conscience still needs some work, you know, because you can quench the Spirit and you can sear your conscience. And maybe those are uh, somewhat similar things that, you know, I, I don't know if this is a good analogy or not, but like the word of God, the word of God is, is perfect, um, always profitable. But the sermon I preached this morning will be us hearing the word of God, but that could be infallible. Um, and so, um, you know, the spirit always speaks perfectly to us, but through our conscience, you know, our conscience may or may not 
you know, the means by which the conscience, the, the spirit is speaking to us as the conscience uh, may need to be evaluated at times or could be overly sensitive or under least underly sensitive. <laughs> so I don't know if that's a good analogy or not, but the Holy Spirit's perfect. I think he does speak through the conscience, which is why we can't dismiss it. Um, but the message can get twisted a little bit if we're not careful. We need to calibrate the conscience in that way. I don't know if that makes sense, but I'm, I'm, one, I'm kind of thinking along those lines right now. The conscience is sort of the means by which the Holy Spirit's speaking. And the means can be imperfect, even though the message is perfect, <laughs> if that makes sense. It does. All right, so, like, oh, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Hunter. It's like Justin said, to get your conscience in line with God's conscience, it's obviously sanctification, but we're never going to be able to accomplish that in this world. Right. All right, so let's look at, uh, on 46, he talks about a clean conscience for the lost. Any questions or comments there? I just thought it was good. It's actually on 47, where it tells you about uh, how you could say to someone who really feels like they're far gone. Um, I thought it was good to be able to just have a clear cut message to tell people that far away. So I thought that was, I don't know. I thought that was nice. Very clean. Yeah. I think one other thing in light of the, the John MacArthur quote that Melissa pointed out uh, is that, you know, I think that like in modern psychology, yeah, there's this, like, you don't, you don't, one of the big things is to not repress who you actually are because it'll cause problems. And I think that there is truth to that insofar as if you suppress things that aren't true or that are true, sorry, uh, it does create problems. And I think that one of the things about, one of the issues for everybody, Christians and non-Christians, is that everyone's often trying to suppress stuff and it does create huge amounts of problems uh, in people's lives. Uh, it's a pretty devastating thing when you suppress your conscience, uh, especially right when it's right. Um, and I think that that kind of stood out, just the absolute necessity and the appeal of addressing a, your unclean conscience with Christ. Um, I agree, Justin. Melissa and I were also talking about how it's frightening that society, a clean conscience nowadays often means that people don't even realize they're sinning or sins are accepted as okay and normal. It's almost frightening to have a clean conscience and not understand your sin, but that's clearly accepted. You know, that's kind of what we say is don't worry about it. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. That's just having a clean conscience, but that's dangerous. Yeah. Right. It's training your conscience to redefine sin as opposed to realizing that, that I'm the, I'm the issue and my heart needs to change. Oh, yeah. So my, yeah. 
So I will just conform my interpretation of reality according to my, my own heart, <laughs> as opposed to realizing that it's my heart that needs to change. That's about as selfish as you can get, prideful as you can get. Yeah, yeah. It's easier, I get. well, yeah, it's probably easier and it doesn't require anything supernatural. I can do that. I can just, <laughs> yeah. but in the process, I crush my own awareness of God and, you know, and you begin to use people because now you become God because you're the arbiter, you know, right. so. Yeah. So that appeal for a clean conscience, that's actually a good, I think, evangelistic thing for us to remember because there are lost people that feel very burdened and guilty and, you know, they're across the spectrum just as we as Christians are in terms of how active their conscience is. But I think that that sense of like, hey, you can be, you can be cleansed, you know, I know that's a big appeal to me <laughs> in the gospel. Um, as I was thinking just here about Romans 7, and Paul talks about his struggle, like he doesn't do the things he ought to do, but the things he does do, he, 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 uh, uh, or the things he should do, he doesn't. And uh, who will deliver me from this body of death? That That is very conscience related there in the sense that he realizes, and I, I think he's a believer. There's a big debate on whether Paul's speaking as a believer or unbeliever. I think he's a believer there, but, um, and just talking about like that supercharged conscience that we'll get to in a second. But then I love Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So um, Satan is the accuser, not God. And so as the believer, there should be conviction over sin, but condemnation um, and accusing, accusation, that's from Satan. Jesus doesn't do that. The Spirit doesn't do that. He convicts, but he doesn't condemn the believer. Um, and I think that's a really important thing that we've got to try to get in our heads and in our consciences. Um, that right conviction over sin is good, but there is no condemnation. If we're feeling condemnation, that's from Satan. Uh, that is not from not from the Holy Spirit. So. This is jumping ahead, but on 53, when he's talking about the, the Bunyan um, kind of section, the, on the bottom of the page, that paragraph is kind of talking about what you're talking about. People can kind of quickly, you get caught up in that condemnation, then you start to hide. You don't confess your sins, not only to God, but not to the person you've hurt. And then you start wallowing in self-pity. And then the devil's got you right where he wants you. <laughs> So I think that that message, bringing that message to people that are feeling that way does provide a path of hope and conviction instead of condemnation and peace. Would it be, would it be possible to get in here? Yeah, I think one of the things that's striking is if you are weighed down by your conscience, uh, that it, in one sense, especially if you're kind of on the one hand resisting confessing and on the other hand feeling condemned, it leaves you isolated. Uh, you know, I think that's a, a really good point, Melissa. Whereas the work of Christ, you know, we're united to Christ and brought to Christ and then if we're confessing our sin, we're also brought into the fellowship of believers and not hiding anything. Sit this down.
All right, I had to relocate there. Um, so I don't know where you're at, but the supercharged conscience of a Christian, I, I found that to be sometimes pretty disorienting for a newer believer. Um, because you come to Christ, you know, you're going to get forgiveness, you want to feel this. And then as you start to walk things out, you're like, I start to feel guilty, or I start to feel convicted about things. I, I think, Hunter, you were mentioning this a little bit before. And so that could be very disorienting, I think, as a newer believer, um, that like, boy, this feels, this seems worse than before. Like, um, that's, that's exactly how I felt the first year or so after we were after I was convicted and accepted Christ is like, this is getting worse. <laughs> this is much more guilt. Now I, I was blind to all my sin before. Now I realize it and I was wallowing in it. Yeah. And so I think we need, uh, we need to tell newer believers to expect that, that that's, mm -hmm. that's actually a good thing. It doesn't feel good all the time, but that's actually a good sign. Um, I almost wonder if part of that is for so long, really, you have been suppressing the truth. And now the spirit is, is unsuppressing it, you know? Uh, yes. And so now you're like, oh man, I think it would have been helpful actually if they had two, two figures. Cause I think that the one, on the one hand, your consciousness of sin, which they show is right. But then also, I think that the process of sanctification, they should have had like, here's the gap before you come to Christ. And hopefully that gap is closing a little bit insofar as you are being sanctified more and more conformed to Christ. Uh, so like what's actually happening versus what you are mentally like feeling uh, or, or realizing, I guess, maybe. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the thing is that the more you grow spiritually, the more humble you're becoming and the more you feel the the more you know you're falling short <laughs> uh, that's why i think we need the community is to go you know your your recognition of the distance between you and god is actually a sign that you're growing even though it feels like you're further than when you started yeah. you're actually you know we need we need to uh um kind of help each other out there because yeah the further you go in sometimes you go man i am i am more wicked and sinful and self-centered than i ever thought yeah um, yeah, I've actually used this image, not exactly the same vectors or whatever the arrows as this one, but I've used it with a friend who became a recent Christian. And I think it helped me understand it for myself, but also to help explain it to new Christians. Like, you're going to grow in that understanding of his laws and who he is, and that you have to, the cross becomes bigger to you. So you have to rely on on the cross more um but like helping them and for ourselves recognize that reality because even being a christian for however many years that i have like i every day i'm like oh my gosh i'm awful it's like no it's like that's what that's where christ is bigger um because i do recognize more of my sins now than i did five years ago where whether or not i sin more but probably i don't know it's just I recognize me more, but you have to have that cross in the middle there. So then it's less of a focus on yourself and more of a focus on, on that cross on Christ. hundred percent reliance on Christ and giving up of yourself as a pure Christian. And it just makes you realize that more and more, but that it's tough in the beginning. Mm -hmm. 
and very disorienting. And I think a lot of people then question their salvation because they're like, I still feel guilty. I thought, <laughs> I thought coming to Jesus was going to like, well, we need to kind of help interpret that. And your conscience is firing. I remember as a kid, my, I don't know where my dad went, but we had this go-kart uh, when we lived on the ranch with this little go-kart and you had to like pull it, pull start it. And uh, it was, uh, it was just kind of this homemade thing, but it was tough for a kid to start. So you had to pull the throttle all the way out. And then when you started it, you had to quick grab it because that thing was going to take off. And so it was like, you know, the throttle had to be all the way out just to get the engine started. But then that was your problem was that you needed to dial that throttle back in order to control the thing. And I think our conscience is kind of that way, too, is that you're trying to persuade people they need Jesus. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. You know, their sin is a big deal. They're facing the wrath of God. Jesus is going to pay for that. And then and then once the, the fire lights, it's like, <laughs> oh, geez, OK, now we got to get kind of get this thing going um um uh, i was also thinking just like when i have to start my grill sometimes you know like <laughs> you got it cranked all the way up and then boom and you got to dial that thing down you don't want to kill it but you want to kind of bring it down and i think i think that happens um for us too and uh there's a chart that i've used like with some students that you know, it's like this one, but it's like, you know, the, the more, the more I, the more, the, the bigger I understand God to be, like, hopefully throughout our lives, God just continues to get bigger and grander and more holy as we learn more about him. But then also you've got the other one that's going down, like I'm realizing just how, how deep my sin goes and that gap gets bigger and the cross needs to get bigger or else we'll either pretend or perform. We'll fill that gap with something. And so we'll either like, so either the cross needs to grow in its glory, right? Uh, the gospel has to continue to get bigger and more glorious to us. Or if we kind of keep the gospel small, then we'll either pretend or perform to try to fill that gap as we become more and more aware of, of our sinfulness and God's holiness. And so that's an important thing for us as Christians to not slip into kind of minimizing the cross or keeping it small. It needs to grow. The glory of the gospel needs to grow um to fill that entire expanse and not performing or pretending um, I, i've always found that to be helpful because we have to fill that gap with something we're learning more about god and we're learning more about ourselves and so uh, that's where the gospel must get more and more glorious to us all the time and it's a perfect design to make us better disciples because we can relate to others in an appropriate loving way when we have a true understanding of that that huge gap and what we need to fill it I must decrease to he can increase. Yeah. I, I heard John Piper say on a panel at a conference one time, like, okay, now that you're in your 70s, and all these years of ministry, you know, what do you look back on and are kind of surprised? He's like, I thought I would be a whole lot godlier by now. <laughs> and I was just, I was super encouraged by that. That like, you know, the great John Piper, you know, still, you know, is not always kind to his wife, still gets irritated, you know, like, and I know that, I know that, but I just, I find that encouraging to go, okay, that's a normal feeling <laughs> until we get to glory of like, and I really thought I would be godlier than I am. So. All right, a clean conscience for the saved, page 49. This actually was where 
one of the things that stood out to me was how he said that God is not kind and merciful, but God is faithful and just. Uh, in First John, that was very striking to me, because I actually have wondered about that, uh, but not clearly. And this that was very helpful to point out that in Christ, God is faithful and just uh, to deal with our sins in a way that is merciful and kind, actually. Um, Yeah, that's a really interesting way to, interesting two qualities put together, faithful and just. You would expect merciful and loving or gracious and kind, but faithful, he's always going to be who he is and just. And then that's the basis for our forgiveness. That's, that's amazing. I'm going to go. I'll see you at the journey. Yeah, we probably should wrap up here. Um, so yeah, Satcher, what's that? We're, they're dropping like flies. So yeah, just, it's it sounds simple, but I guess just continuing to behold the glory of Christ, that's how we shape our conscience there. Um, when it's guilty, we've got to just keep going to the, to grace. And I think that's probably why Paul, maybe at least one reason why Paul in almost all of his letters talks about the glories of the gospel before he gets to the imperatives. It's always what, what has been done for you in Christ. And then obedience flows out of that. He, he, he almost never starts with like obedience and imperatives. It's like he wants to kind of ground the conscience in a right understanding. Now live a changed life because of who you are in Christ, not because you feel guilty or ashamed or trying to earn something. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's important for all of us to remember, I think, too. That, yeah. Um, doctrine before duty, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, the one thing I thought that wasn't clear, uh, and I've wondered, is John says, if we confess our sins. And I think that it's often assumed, confess your sins to the person you offended. But... You know, John also does, Melanie and I were talking about this, that John talks about being in the light. Not that I think you need to confess all your sins to everybody, but just even confessing sins that aren't necessarily against somebody and just be like, hey, this is, you know, either pray for me or, you know, this is, some, you know, bringing our sin into the light can often help us. Uh, even sure. if it's not against this, you know, I sinned against Melody and so I have to confess to her or someone else. But sometimes even just like, oh, I can't, I'm struggling with this, or this is, uh, you know, and, and bring it not only to the Lord, but to brothers and sisters can be a way to help uh, deal with sin, too. That was something I didn't think was particularly clear in the chapter, but what they, uh, what they thought about that, but. Yeah. Yeah, I think the aspect of Christian community, it's obviously a short chapter is a big yeah. part of that, you know, yeah. confessing to one another, holding one another accountable, giving and receiving grace from each other. You yeah. know, that's, that's part of why, and hopefully we'll reincorporate it again soon. We were having a prayers of confession. It's just, you know, everybody feels beat up. Everyone's coming into church feeling beat up and feeling like they've fallen short. And, you know, maybe doesn't particularly like these people <laughs> very much anyway, you know, like, and just that sense of like giving us language to go, 
let's just bring all of our issues before God. And then, you know, that, that reminding ourselves that the gospel is the answer to that. We kind of need that together and corporately, but, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I hope that we can continue to cultivate a place where we can, we can confess and openly in a way that's not scandalous or gossipy or, or tempts others, you know, to, uh, to unhelpful ways of thinking, but that we're, we're just kind of, we're just very aware that we all are deeply sinful and yet deeply loved and that the cross of Christ is more than sufficient for any sin. We can't outsin the cross, you know, so we do, we are at war with our sin. Um, but our, our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You know, this person made in God's image is, is, is meant to be redeemed and is being redeemed. And so ruthless with sin in one sense, but very gentle with image bearers. And I think too, the, the part about that in John, faithful and just thinking of God that way can provide a lot of peace to people that are coming to church, having been sinned against by others. Mm-hmm. Sure. Great. Kind of a, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but where you can just wallow in that and, and block you from your relationship with Christ. Yeah. I've, I've recently in the last few years tried to incorporate that into like, it's not that we're all just guilty of sin and that's our primary issue, but we're also been victims of sin too. And that people realize that um, the gospels for that too. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let me close this in prayer. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.